Hello and welcome back to Clinician's Brief, the podcast, the conversations behind the content. I'm your host, Dr. Alyssa Watson, and today we're going to be discussing a case of bilateral cryptorchidism in a cat. Walking us through how to discover and ultimately treat elusive testicular tissue in felines is Dr. Carla Barstow, a boarded theriogenologist at Highland Pet Hospital in Lakeland, Florida. Dr. Barstow's article, Inappropriate Urination in a Neutered Cat, can be found in the September 2021 edition of Clinician's Brief. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Barstow. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me this evening. Before we jump into this case, could you tell the audience a little bit about your background and what made you so interested in reproduction? Absolutely. I have been breeding and showing Samoyeds for over 20 years. It's what I've grown up with. And when I went to vet school, I made myself known to my major professor, Dr. Peggy Rutt at University of Minnesota. And she got me involved in the Society for Theriogenology, helped guide where I was going to go. Um, after graduation, I worked at Highland Pet Hospital for a couple of years before a residency position came open at Auburn University. That position was sponsored by the American Kennel Club and the Theriogenology Foundation. So I was very lucky enough to be able to be one of the AKC-sponsored residencies to further my education in helping breeders breed healthier dogs. So let's talk a little bit about this case. The, the title of the article is Inappropriate Urination in a Neutered Cat, but this definitely was not your run-of-the-mill feline lower urinary tract disease case, right? Not at all. Definitely not at all. Okay. So the big clue in this and the big reveal is that when this cat was examined, he was found to have penile spines. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So why does this finding make you zero in on hormonal causes of inappropriate urination? Penile spines are testosterone dependent. So that means there has to be some sort of testosterone in the system of the animal. This could be either an endogenous source or an exogenous source of testosterone. And testosterone sometimes causes other physical changes besides spines, right? I, yes. I always think of those kitties, those tom kitties with the big chunky chipmunk cheeks. I just love that. Absolutely, yes. He did have some cheeks on them. Um, however, since he was adopted as an adult, his exact age was unknown at the time of adoption. So they weren't completely unexpected to see because he was most likely neutered later in life. So you were saying that undescended testicles aren't the only cause of testosterone in a seemingly neutered cat. What other differentials should we be considering? The most common one, and it's actually even becoming more commonplace, are topical hormonal creams that are used by the owners. The owners are usually instructed to apply these creams to their inner forearm, and then the pet sleeps in bed with them, um, snuggles with them on the couch while they're walking, watching TV, and this product is then absorbed into the pet system. The other thing, obviously, to look at is the adrenal glands because they can also produce some of our sex hormones. So I have, you know, over the years asked owners about exposure, um, you know, to hormonal creams and everything. And I'll have to say everyone's always said no. So <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed, but I don't know what to do if they ever said yes. Um, so if there is, in fact, exposure to exogenous testosterone, how do you address that? Can yeah. the cat have any contact with the owner? What, what needs to happen there? So we do, of course, want to try to minimize the exposure as much as possible. And it is a hard question to ask of a client. And so we usually try to leave it as broad as possible. Is there 
anybody in the household that is on any topical hormonal creams. Just to leave it as broad, as open as possible. If they say yes, then we can ask them where are they applying the cream because most pharmacists do instruct them to put it on that inner arm so we can then put it someplace that's maybe covered by the clothing to protect the animal a little bit, potentially switching the times of the day that they apply the cream versus in the morning or at night. Um, so that way kind of work out some things there and potentially, at least in the cat's case, not allowing them to sleep in the bed with them at night. That all makes sense. The other differential you mentioned is uh, sex hormone producing adrenal tumors. So are those very prevalent in cats? They're actually pretty rare. There's only a handful of cases reported in the literature. And then what's the preferred treatment if, if that was the case? Adrenalectomy would be the best course of action for those. So when I first read through this case, um, you know, it was a, a cat that the client, the owners had thought was neutered and ended up, you know, being cryptorchid. I kind of had this flashback to this case I had really early on in my career. This was a dog, my case, not a cat. And it was a female, not a male, but I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Um, the The owners had been told that the dog had been spayed and they had adopted it later in life from the shelter and had been told that it was already spayed. And they had had her for a few years and she had never come into heat. But then she started showing classic signs of pyometra and that's why she came into me. She was PUPD, she was febrile, she was sick. I took an x-ray, like I could see there was a uterus there, but the owners were still really skeptical that she could have a uterine infection because they had really thought that she was spayed. But they did finally let me do an explore and I, I was really relieved when I opened her up and there was a uterus there like I thought there was. So there's a lot more diagnostics now that you can use that I, I didn't have back then. Um, so can we talk a little bit about the diagnostics that you were able to utilize for Bandit? They think they would have saved me a lot of anxiety back then. <laughs> um, so the main one that I like to use is the anti-mullerian hormone assay test. And basically, if you remember back to embryology, this is actually what aids in gender differentiation while they're in utero. However, in our sexually mature animals, AMH is actually produced in the granulosa cells of the ovaries or in the Sertoli cells in the testicles of the male. And then AMH levels, they drop after they've been altered. So this makes it actually a great test to check for the presence or the absence of gonadal tissue. However, in your case, turnaround time on these tests is not very quick, so probably wouldn't have helped with your pyometra case. But it is a great, if you do have, you know, like a cycling bitch or you're concerned that, you know, there might be some reserves left. And even in the human side of this, they're using AMH to test ovarian reserve in some of our premenopausal women. So it's actually a very great hormone for it's got some good uses going forward why is that test preferred over something like just a baseline testosterone or a gonadotropin stimulation test so the easy answer is that amh is a single quick blood draw especially if you've got an angry animal or a cat in this case just a one and done our baseline testosterone levels they may be low even in the presence of testicular tissue due to seasonality like in the winter time with cats or because testosterone, it's secreted in pulsatile bursts. And so if we're drawing our blood at our trough level, it's going to naturally be low anyways. The gonadotropin stimulation tests that use the GnRH or an HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin, those are more accurate, obviously, than our baseline testosterone tests. However, they require additional blood draws and access to a medication that most general practitioners don't routinely stock in the clinic. 
That all makes sense and it's good tips. <laughs> you mentioned um, in the article that the AMH assay has 100% specificity and sensitivity in detecting neutered status in cats. Is that true for dogs as well? I would say absolutely, but I don't know the exact sensitivity and specificity numbers, but it's going to be very high. Okay. And then Bandit's testicular tissue was actually found via ultrasound mm -hmm. um, after he was anesthetized. Do you find that it is particularly difficult to find retained testicles via ultrasound? Because uh, I do. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's very easy for the radiologist. Obviously, that's what they do day in and day out. Honestly, it just takes a lot of time and patience. Ultrasound every cryptorchid patient that you have because that's where you're going to get into the routine of this is what it is that I'm looking for. The normal retained testicle, it will be hypoechoic to your surrounding fat and have a hyperechoic structure, the mediastinum testis that runs along that central axis. So it looks very similar to an intestinal loop. However, when you sit there and you stare at it for long enough, the intestinal loops have those nice layers around the edges mm -hmm. that we're not going to see in the testicle. And then any tips and tricks on where to find them? Do you have a systematic approach of where you put your probe, where you're looking? Uh, I usually start at the bladder and then I work my way towards the kidneys in a very similar position as if I was ultrasounding for pregnancy, kind of running the gutters uh, like where a uterus would be because it's going to run along those same lines. When you've got a challenging case in front of you, you could spend your lunch sorting through cluttered search results and a shelf full of outdated textbooks. Or you could find what you need to know in seconds, all in one place. By combining concise diagnostic and treatment information, algorithms, and pet owner resources with the Drug Information Veterinarians Trust, Plums Pro is ready to change the way you spend your day. This groundbreaking new platform is streamlined, easy to use, and continually updated to keep you delivering great care with confidence. Now you've got one less reason to eat lunch at your desk. Get acquainted with the all new Plums Pro at plums.com. So I was also surprised to learn that there are some medical options to control inappropriate ur urination due to testosterone. So which medications are those? There are melatonin and desirelin implants that are available. The melatonin implants that have been used to help control fertility, they have been shown to decrease sperm production, but they don't really affect testosterone levels. So in Bandit's case, since he was spraying most likely because of the testosterone, that would not have been a good option for him. And then the desirelin implants, those are a synthetic gonadotropin-releasing hormone that can induce a temporary infertility in the treated patients, and it does cause a decrease in hormone production over time. Unfortunately, it is only FDA-approved for use in ferrets in the U.S. However, it is used in Australia for fertility control. So, in general, then, surgical treatment is kind of the treatment of choice for this. I do recommend surgical removal for all cases, if possible, because we do know that retained testicles have a significantly higher chance of becoming cancerous or torsing on them. However, if the patient is a poor anesthetic candidate, then medical treatment with the Desirelin implant may be an option to control the marking. However, of course, that cancer risk still remains there. 
And then with Bandit, he was treated with surgery. Uh, can you describe the technique that was used? Caps are very nice because you can do a nice caudal midline abdominal approach for them, finding the ductus deferens and then tracing it, you know, cranially or caudally until you identify the testicles. In his case, we did have to retroflex the bladder to find the one on the left side because it was trying to sneak through that inguinal canal, but we were able to pull it back into the abdomen for surgery. I see a lot of veterinarians that are really becoming more of a fan of the flank approach for crypto neuters. Are you a, a fan of that approach or do you like the midline? I like the midline, at least for the cats. But even still, if you're really good with your ultrasound and you're confident and you only have the one testicle, I think a flank approach could potentially be used. But if you're unsure if you don't have one or both, then I think a midline approach would be easier. So given the fact that Bandit's medical history was completely unknown prior to adoption, what would have happened if, you know, with the, with the ultrasound and once you got in there for the Explore, you were only able to find? So obviously we're going to remove that testicle, thoroughly check, making sure that, you know, we're not missing anything that's left there. And then we can have them come back in a month to six weeks and have a recheck for those penile spines because those are going to regress once testosterone is out of the system. Okay. And then four to six weeks. And if the penile spines were still there, would you then recommend doing more hormonal testing or what, what would you do there? We can do additional hormonal testing because that'll stay elevated for about 30 days post-surgery. Okay. Um, so if that had dropped to baseline, then we know that we're good. And then we can look for other sources or other causes. But if it was still elevated at that time, then potentially sending him to a radiologist for a radiology ultrasound, because obviously I missed something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we did, you do remove the tissue, both testicles or one, if there's only a, a unilateral cryptorchid, do you recommend histopathology on those always? Always, absolutely. Um, it's a good CYA to make sure that all the tissue was removed or that the tissue that you removed was gonadal in order origin. And then how do you address that with the clients? Do you kind of just not make that an option or? It's just rolled into the cost of the surgery. So what was the outcome for this case for Bandit? So he went back to being a normal cat. Part of their concerns with the cat was his attitude and his spraying. He did stop spraying in the house and became much more docile, just you know, hanging out on the back of their chair. And what would you say is the most important lesson clinicians should learn from this case? Obviously, we always want to rule out intact status. It's a big part in this particular case. Um, some cats are more allowing of that than others. Bandit was actually willing for us to be able to you know, extrude the penis without sedation, but sometimes it's not always the case. It made for an easy answer for these owners. Well, thank you so much for going through all of this with us today. This Absolutely. was, you know, a really wonderful case to read about and to talk to you about. Certainly something that I wouldn't have thought of first off with that presenting complaint. So it's always good to keep your eyes open for something, something different that can come down the pipeline. <laughs> Absolutely. You never know what's going to walk through the door. Before I let you go today, a lot of our regular listeners know at the end of our episodes, we like to put our guests on the spot a little bit and play a little game. I'm, I'm just kidding. It's very fun. It's just a series of would you rather questions. There's Ooh. no right or wrong answer. It's okay. just for fun. Do you want to play? Sure. All right. So first question, would you rather practice without radiography or without ultrasonography? Oh, 
I figured this would be a hard one this for you. This is going to be a very hard one for me, absolutely, because my ultrasound allows me to visualize my fetal heartbeats if I've got something that's in fetal distress, confirming a pregnancy earlier than I can with radiography. Um, but if I have a dystocia case, I need my x-rays to tell me, is this going to be a something I can medically manage or something I have to surgically manage? Ooh. Um, I guess if I had to give up something, I guess I would give up x-rays. I can do a lot with my ultrasound. Would you rather have one of your team members say, wow, that vein is huge, or gee, it's quiet today? <laughs> uh, the team is very good about knowing that it's quiet today. However, we do have our lawn maintenance man when he comes in every Wednesday that, yes, that's his first thing that he even said it today at lunchtime. He's like, man, it's quiet in here today. And we all like oh. shoot death glares at him. Um, so I think I'd rather be cursed with the, the vein than having people tell me that it's quiet in the building. <laughs> Would you rather hunt for an ovarian remnant in a tiny little teacup Yorkie or perform a C-section in obese Mastiff with 15 puppies? Oh, give me the C-section any day. Um, okay. that, I, I, I live and breathe for those. That's, that's my lifeblood. That's what I do. And we all, we do it while we're on show too. So the understanding they're right there watching it while we're doing it. Oh, you let owners watch while you perform surgery? Uh, C-sections. Yes, ma'am. Would you rather be able to know what every one of your patients is thinking or have them to be able to understand you when you're talking to them? Ooh, I don't necessarily know if I really want to know what they're thinking, you know, while we're doing weird <laughs> things to them, you know, it's like, holding them down, giving them injections, drawing blood. Um, I think it would be, I guess it would be better if they understood me when I was talking to them. So they knew that I'm not really trying to hurt them. I am trying to help them. I agree. That's my answer too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And last question. And I always save the most important one for last. <laughs> so if you were called out to do a preg check on a centaur, Ooh. would you put the ultrasound probe on the woman's abdomen or transrectally in the mare? Ooh. Um, I mean, I guess if it's early on, like a mare, I would just go in transrectally. I think that would be the, Ooh, man, <laughs> that that's a really good one. Cause you always wonder about these things. No, I would probably go transrectal. Okay. All right. Good answer. <laughs> You're the expert. I'm going to leave that one to you. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining us. This has been just a really informative episode. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I greatly appreciate your time tonight. Thanks again to today's guest for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us. You can also listen to our podcast on our website at cliniciansbrief.com slash podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at cliniciansbrief and on Instagram at clinicians.brief or drop us a line at podcast at briefmedia.com. Clinicians Brief the Podcast is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ussery, sound by Randall Stupka, and hosted by me, Dr. Alyssa Watson. <laughs>